Hey everyone and welcome back to The Leadership Project with your host Mick Spears. We bring you thought-provoking guests and topics every week to challenge your thinking about leadership. Our aim is to help you become the leader that you wish you always had as we learn together and lead together. Hey everyone and welcome back to The Leadership Project. I'm greatly honoured today to be joined by Danny Langloss. I came across Danny on LinkedIn with some amazing content and I strongly encourage you right from the outset to follow Danny on LinkedIn for all of the insightful wisdom that he shares on there on a regular basis. And there was one topic in particular that really caught my attention and that is his work on the seven pillars of ownership. And that is what we're going to talk about today. To be honest, I could have picked multiple of his posts and done a complete podcast on any of them, but this one really captured my attention. Now, Danny's got an interesting career. He started out as a police officer and worked up all the way through to police chief, and now he's a city manager in Dixon, Illinois. And I'm going to go through some of that background with Danny to understand his own leadership journey and what led him to this great wisdom that he shares with us all on LinkedIn every day and every week now. So without any further ado, Danny, please do say hello to the audience and fill in a few of those gaps. Tell me more about what inspired you to join the police force in the first place and some of those personal leadership transitions that you've made and what led you to be with us today. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Mick, for having me. I really appreciate your kind words. Hello to the Leadership Project community. Just a fantastic community. And I'm excited to be able to join this community and to share a little bit and, and answer the questions and have just a great discussion because that's where all the learning happens, I think. So a little bit about my background. Ever since I was eight or nine years old, all I ever wanted to do was be a police officer. I don't know what it was, the uniform, the cars, the protect and serve, but I really saw them as doing the greater good. And and so, you know, through high school, through college, that was my entire focus. And at 21 years old, I got the opportunity to become a Dixon police officer. My career had some ups and downs. And a lot of people don't realize that when they look at, you know, come with some of the experience. But a couple of years in, I was really struggling. I was, there's a 30 officer department. I was third from the bottom in evaluations. Felt like I was doing a good job, was struggling to connect and, and was very frustrated. Been passed up for a few things that people with my time on. We're getting opportunities to do one thing I thought I was going to get a chance to do and found out because a person's mailbox was next to mine that I didn't get selected to be on the SWAT team when I was told we were both going to be able to and honestly was going to leave. And I had a great mentor step in, give me some advice, teach me a few things, uh, implemented a strategy that took me from being third from the bottom in evaluations to number one and never looking back. And some, you know, the, the leaders we have, the mentors, the impact, those conversations are, are big time. So three years, I caught a break and I didn't know the opportunity was coming. Somebody got hurt. Luckily, it was a minor injury from a flag football game, but I got a chance to go to investigations. I was in investigations a couple of years. And because of people retiring out, we kind of had an older department, got a chance to become a sergeant. Then I ran investigations as a detective sergeant for six or seven years. And then the police chief decided to retire and there was an open competition for his position. And I competed for the position against a couple of people that were above me in rank. I was a sergeant and there were two lieutenants and then the chief. And then I was selected to become the police chief. I often say you can't have the experience 
experience until you have the experience. I mean, training is absolutely amazing. Having great mentors is essential, great coaches, but that experience. And so there were some hard knocks along the way. When I became police chief, the mayor actually came out against me at the time. There was some public outcry. There were some real nasty things on our local newspaper website where people could comment anonymously. I think there were two or three people making the comments. That's since changed. I, I narrowly overcame a vote of no confidence, 13 to 12, before I even took the position. Stepped in a lot of different strategies to get that turned around very quickly. And then in 2012, four years in, a friend of mine from the FBI who ran the Rockford office, which is about an hour north of here, it's a town of about 200,000, came in to let me know they just arrested our comp trailer from bezeling what turned out to be more than $54 million from the city over a period of 20 years. So the city tapped me on my shoulder. The same mayor who I became very close with that was against me, asked me to help lead the community back. And so we created a team, professionalized every aspect of city government, got most of our money back through out-of-court settlements and then through sale of her property. And then I returned to being the, the police chief. We had more culture issues down the road as we transitioned form of governments to the city manager form of government and just were having trouble getting the city manager position right. It wasn't something I, I wanted to do, but I was tapped on the shoulder and things were just tough and very toxic. And I always say I bleed purple. That's our community color. And so decided to take that step and become the city manager. And so we assembled a team about six years ago that's just doing incredible things. And we're really seeing through a lot of growth, new businesses, business retention, community assets, public works infrastructure, and just a great team and culture just take off and take us to the next level. So I tried to abbreviate that history and I'll just shut up and let you ask any questions that, that you have. That's brilliant, Danny. That gets us off to a rocking start. And there's multiple things there I'd love to unpack. First of all, congratulations on your success and for what you've achieved. And thank you for your service. And that word service is going to come up again shortly as well. The first thing I want to highlight is when I look at your career, I look at career highlights. I look at a trajectory that to the outside looks pretty darn prolific. But I'm hearing from you that it wasn't as shiny on the inside as it was on the outside. And there were some tough times. What did you learn at some of those low points? You know, what I learned at some of those low points is to never think you're too good. Never get an ego. Always remain humble. Always know that on any journey, there's going to be challenge. There's going to be failure. There's going to be struggle. What I learned is, you know, the incredible value of human connection, making sure people feel seen and heard. And I just learned that, you know, leadership's not for the faint of heart. It doesn't have to be fair. A lot of times we've got to swallow our pride. A lot of times we have to let other people win, even when we're right. And the ability to do that and really serve others and get clear on our values is so important. And, you know, when you learn that like right now, I'm at a moment of time in my journey and, you know, success or leadership or anything, there's no destination, there's no ending. And every step I took along the way, it was a new beginning. I became the least experienced person in a position like that of anybody in the country the first day I took that on. And so I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons along the way. And, and it hasn't always been easy, but it's always been worth it because of the impact that we can create through leadership. There's three really powerful things I'm hearing there, Danny. The first one is a learning and growth mindset. So your every moment, whether it's a good moment or a bad moment, I'm seeing you learn from that moment and taking stock and going, okay, well, what was that all about and how do I grow as an individual from there? Not a fixed mindset of, oh, I just can't do this. It was always a learning and growth mindset of, I can learn how to do this and I can learn from these experiences, good and bad. The second one I'm going to say is a creator mindset versus a victim mindset. You use the word, oh, it's just not fair. 
and life is not always fair. And I know that you've grown up in the world of justice and I'd like to think that the world is fair, but it's not. There's always things that get thrown at us that to our perspective are not fair. But what do we do? Do we drop our bundle and have a victim mindset and say, it's not my fault? Or do we have a creator mindset and go, well, what can I do from where I am and what I have in front of me? And the third thing that you said was journey. Even sitting here today in a high leadership position in the city right now, you still recognize that you're still on a journey as a leader. Tell us more about journey and what's still to come in the journey of Danny Langloss. So, you know, I think the best way to predict the future is to create it. And so where we're currently at is just where we're currently at. It doesn't define us. And, you know, when I look at the future, you know, I see all we're trying to bring to life and create within Dixon and the community. But my goal, my purpose is to be in a position based on my current skill set, which is always changing, to create the greatest impact, the biggest difference for the most amount of people in the areas I'm passionate about. And I believe to my core that individuals, organizations and communities rise and fall with leadership. And there's so many critical issues facing our communities, our businesses, our states, our countries, the world, all of them are solved with leadership. And so through the work I'm doing on LinkedIn, through my speaking and consulting business that I do on the side of my job as as city manager, I'm just really looking to connect with the most amount of people who I can help provide value to and help them on their journey. And for the most part, it just lights me up to be sharing free content and ideas and strategies and experiences on LinkedIn, but not just sharing, right? It isn't about me. When people go look at my content on LinkedIn, I'm intentionally driving engagement and conversation with almost every post. And that's what sets me on fire because people don't learn being told. People learn by participating and by engaging and being part of the conversation and sharing their ideas. Because the only way somebody can walk away with ownership, which is something we'll talk about, is if they choose within themselves. People don't get ownership from being told to do things. They get ownership by being part of what they're creating, by solidifying those things in their mindset and their beliefs, and then owning that as their own because they want to, not because you or I think it's important. Wonderful, Danny. What I see in front of me is someone that is creating their own journey and creating their own world based on growth and continual learning, and then very purpose-driven, very purpose-driven. Tell us more about that purpose. Very purpose-driven. So, you know, coming up through the ranks as a police officer, I've been blessed to work with child victims, blessed to work with people serving, suffering from substance use disorder, addiction, and mental illness. And those have been some incredible passions of mine to help people who can't help themselves, to help get them going in a different way, to reimagine policing, to reimagine how we deal with these issues. And so one of the things we did about eight, for about eight years, I specialized in crimes against children as we went out and raised you know, community awareness. We created what's called the Shining Star Children's Center where child victims come to for special types of interviews. We created a campaign called Empowering Our Children to Say No because these aren't crimes of violence, they're crimes of manipulation. And then we partnered with this incredible young woman who's now in her 30s, Erin Marin, to create Erin's Law, which is the first law in our country that's specifically designed to protect children, to give them a voice. And then on the other side of substance use disorder and mental illness, we created the second program in the country that put heroin addicts to treat 
treatment instead of jail. It's called the Safe Passage Initiative. And we helped over 150 communities across the country create programs just like it. And then we created a, a pretty revolutionary front edge program for people suffering with mental health disorders. My brother is bipolar. I'm just coming up through the ranks of the department and working with people struggling with mental illness. You just saw all the broken pieces of the system. And locally, we're able to create an incredible model that is replicable that began to really help people get to the root of issues, get in front of problems before they got to where they are. And then the final thing related to that has to do with PTSD and our public safety and the toll that the job takes on people. And we've created a very front edge program that I travel the country and speak on called Protecting the Protectors. And so those were some of the things that lit me on fire. But what I found was I wasn't necessarily just attracted to policing at eight or nine years old. And I could have never put this into words until deep in my career. But all the things I just described are leadership. And that has become my greatest passion because if I can help people be better at connecting, influencing, uniting, empowering, inspire other people, draw them together towards a common purpose, just think about the impact we can create in this world. And that's what, at its core, what's really motivated and driven me through this journey. That's a really interesting observation there. And it's it's like the blooming of or the blossoming of purpose. So you started off as a six-year-old wanting to be a police officer. And then later on, you realized, no, I, what it really was is I wanted to be a leader. But it wasn't you wanted to be a leader for being a leader's sake. You wanted to be a leader because you wanted to have an impact on people's lives. And there's an, an undertow there with some of the examples that you gave. And please correct me if, if this is wrong, a impact on people's lives where they need it most. So people at low point in their life where they probably can't help themselves without a little bit of help from others around them. So you are leading people, you're inspiring them around a very purpose-driven service to helping people when they need it most. How does that sit with you? Perfectly said. I don't know that I could have said it any better. And it really becomes the essence of this X factor of winning cultures and championship teams ownership, because when we have purpose and meaning and it sets us on fire, right? It's no longer work. It's passion. It's purpose. It's impact. And so that level of commitment to where you're always looking for ways to proactively solve problems. You're always looking for ways to get 1% better every day or add layers of greatness to the organization. You're always trying to be proactive and understanding change is our friend, you know, under Understanding failures, our relationship with failure is one of the most important relationships we'll ever have. Because when we see failure as that opportunity for growth, when we see challenge and change and adversity as those things, nothing can stop us. Because by nature, those force us into change. They force us into creativity. They force us into innovation. And we take an incredible amount of pride and ownership in whatever it is we're doing. And you start filling an organization with people like that from the bottom to the top of the organization by the hierarchy, and the organization becomes unstoppable in whatever area you're in. Yeah, amazing, Danny. And failure, struggle, necessity, they're all the great ingredients of a learning organization that is going to go to greater heights. I want to unpack one more thing that you said in your introduction, and then we're going to get towards the seven pillars. You also mentioned the word luck. You said, I got a lucky break and all this kind of stuff. The first thing I'm going to say to you is, is luck is where preparedness and opportunity meet, right? So it happened for a reason and you were ready for it when it happened for a reason. But you also mentioned that you had some great mentors along the way. Tell us about that mentor-mentee relationship, what you learned from that and how that helped forge the leader that you are today. 
No. And the, what you just said there is perfect because one of my success frameworks is preparation plus opportunity equals success. We never know when opportunity is going to come and strike. You could have never predicted that this opportunity I got as detective that completely changed the trajectory of my whole career was going to come. But I've seen people wait to prepare, wait to give effort, wait to do what was necessary until they knew the opportunity was coming. And by then it was just too late. You've seen people say, well, I never knew that was an, an opportunity or would become a possibility. Well, that's not how it works. Works. We don't do things to get a promotion. We don't do things to get ahead. We do it because we believe in it. It drives meaning to our life. It's because it's who we are, right? And those are the kinds of people that I look to surround myself with. When you look at the mentorship, I was frustrated. I was upset earlier in my career. I didn't feel that it was fair that I was being evaluated third from the bottom of the organization. But my mentor pulled me in and he saw the frustration. And he told me, he taught me an important lesson about perception. And he said, I can still hear his voice. He said, Danny boy, come in and have a seat. And I come in and have a seat and we're talking and he asked me some questions. He drew out my frustration, right? So he could connect with me on a very emotional level. I didn't know that's what he was doing. I realize it now. And he said, Danny, all we have here is a perception issue. He said, coming into an organization, I know that you are trying as hard as you can to impress, to show that you belong, to gain respect. But when you come into an organization, you know, the harder you try to build relationships, it's the only area where if you try too hard, it can be, it can be a negative. And so at times you can be taken as a know-it-all. At times it's intimidating to the older sergeants that this young kid comes in and actually does know the answers and know their stuff. But just because you know, doesn't mean you have to interject and answer. You can just sit back and listen a little bit more and that will actually build your relationships, right? And as this achiever and hard driver and always trying, the harder you try. And so what he told me to do from a perception side, he goes, I want you to go have a conversation with all six of the sergeants individually. And he goes, I want you to just, just go talk to them and say, you know, will you help me? Would, would you be willing to help me? I'm struggling. I have a lot of areas to improve. Third from the evaluate bottom of the evaluation list. And I really want to work my way towards the top of that list, but I'm just trying to figure out how. And he says to me, Mick, he says, I guarantee you not one of these sergeants will give you any feedback or guidance because honestly, you're doing a great job. But now what you've done, instead of being the first one to answer and be intimidating to them, now you've let them know how important they are and how valuable they are and how much you respect them. And I had these conversations and not a single sergeant gave me any advice. They told me I was doing a good job. They told me to keep doing what I was doing. They appreciated I asked them for help and they said if they saw things, they would help me. I listened more and talked less. And I went from third from bottom in evaluations to number one and was never less than number one again in evaluations within the department. That's a wonderful story. And I'm so glad that you were paying attention when your mentor spoke to you about this. So this is one thing in all mentor relationships. The mentor relationship doesn't work if we're not actually connecting and listening to the message that our mentor is trying to give us. The second part is then, yeah, all of life is about relationships, leadership even more so. It's about relationships. And what you're describing is a such a common mistake that so many new leaders make is thinking that they have to be the answer to every question. They think that leadership is about speaking and leading from the front and all this kind of stuff. And it's not. It's about relationships. It's about holding space for each other. It's about how you make things about other people, not about you. It's not about you anymore. It's about the people that you serve. And I'm so glad that your mentor was able to show you that and you've grown in leaps and bounds ever since. All right, Danny, I want to get to the seven pillars now because it really captured my attention when I saw this. So you've developed this framework called the seven pillars of ownership. Let's start with that word ownership. Why is ownership so important? 
Well, let me give you an example. Have you ever rented a house in your life? And to the listeners, just say, have you ever rented a house? And almost everybody raises their hand and says, yes. Well, when you rented that house, did you ever think about putting on an addition? Did you ever think about adding a deck or a patio? Did you ever think about you know updating the HVAC or finishing the basement or doing the roof? And when you rent a house, those aren't things you think about, right? I mean, Mick, have you ever done any of those things at a place you rented? I keep it very clean and and leave it cleaner than I found it, but I don't improve it. That's for sure. So renters are okay for the organization, but what I just described isn't what renters do. That's what owners do, right? That's what owners do. And that's the power of ownership within organizations. I define ownership as the extreme emotional and psychological commitment to the team, the values, the purpose of the organization, where people do things because it's important to them, not because they're told to do it. And this is a very healthy style of ownership. This isn't the territorial type of ownership. This isn't me, my, I. This is our, us, we style of ownership where people realize at times we need to lead, at times we need to follow. And that's a really important component and part of this framework. And so then when you have purpose and meaning and pride, right, what it does for the organization is just unmatched from anything I've seen. So we're always trying to create this feeling. It really, it's a feeling, it's a tie, it's a connection, it's this emotion of ownership within our people. I love that definition that you gave before. And the metaphor is very powerful. The renting versus owning a house. Great metaphor. And I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. And then when you said that people would start doing things because it's important to them, not because they were told to do it. And that's where we do have a lot of disconnect in the workforce right now. We see quiet quitting. We see great resignations. What we see is a lack of ownership and a lack of commitment because people are sick and tired of being told what to do and they want to connect to purpose. They want to connect to something that they believe in. They want to do things because it's important to them. That's what I'm hearing there, Danny. Anything you would want to add to that? Well, I think it is a shift. It's a revolt against the profit and loss, being a number to people and listening and engaging them and and making them, creating a safe place for them psychologically, having them truly feel like they belong, understanding how what drives meaning and purpose in their life aligns with the meaning and purpose of the organization, just to name a few things. I mean, belonging and purpose are the two top reasons, according to McKinsey and a few other studies, why you're seeing this mass exodus. You know, you don't just get up and leave what you own, what you're passionate about what you're connected to. You don't. Matter of fact, you stay even when you could go and make more money. I mean, I could go into the private sector for a company at an executive level position and make make far more money and bonuses and different things than I make as a city manager. But I love Dixon. I bleed purple. I love the impact, the way we're creating the future of this community. I love our team. I'm not going anywhere. And then they completely empower me to be able to do my speaking and do consulting within measure, right? And I'm very picky about who I'll take on as clients and where I'll go speak because I have a very limited amount of time to do it. But these are some of the things that are so important and as they relate to the framework. So people want purpose. They want to feel individually and collectively that they matter and that they want to feel like they belong to something bigger than themselves. And when they feel that, they're not going to quite quit. In fact, they're going to do the opposite. They're going to unlock discretionary effort. They're going to work harder. They're going to work with their heart and soul because they believe in the purpose and that purpose is important to them. And they're certainly not going to pack up and go and work for the competitor or go and work to in another job because they feel like they actually matter 
matter to the organization and the team that are around them. All right. So if you're out there listening, if you're experiencing, if you're looking at your HR data and you're going, oh, just can't seem to retain people, get back to the basics of what people are looking for in the workplace. They want to feel seen, heard. They want to feel like they matter. They want to feel like there's some kind of purpose that connects to their own passions so that they can then put their heart and soul into the work and then they're going to stay. That's as simple as that. And a lot of times, Mick, for a lot of people, what drives meaning is that belonging, is the feeling of being on a great team or for some people like they have a second family, right? A lot of times it might not even be the output of the organization. So we can't make this too complicated, but we have to lead the whole person and know people holistically, personally and professionally to be able to know how to tap in and align that purpose. So we've got to be very clear on what drives meaning from the work we do so then we know how to connect it. And people struggle with that at times as well. The belonging and the connection. Yeah, really good, Danny. So let's get into it. Let's talk about your seven pillars. How did you come up with the seven? And let's start one at a time. Let's talk us through the pillars. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, it was around March of 2020. I really started doing a lot of reflection, a lot of introspection. I think great leaders are great multipliers, but you know, for me in my career, and it probably has to do with the job and the trauma and all we, you know, I didn't look backwards. I learned in the moment very quickly, which you have to do when you're in policing and you move on. But if you want to be a multiplier, if you want to help other people be great leaders, create these incredible cultures, you got to understand what goes into it. So I created this initial framework called create a culture of leadership because we try to develop leaders very early on in their career and leadership mindset and onboarding through their career. And through that concept came ownership and the concept of ownership, shifting people to owners from renters or even transients, right? Those are the three types of people I find in organizations. And over leading up to that for about a year, I was dialing in these pillars. And so in March, around March of 2020, I came to these seven pillars. Pillar one is psychological safety. Pillar two is sense of belonging. Pillar three is is aligning purpose. Pillar four is confidence. Pillar five is empowerment. Pillar six is innovation. Pillar seven is commitment and very high levels of commitment transition to ownership. And so it was a nine month to a year long process. And when I built this framework, I really built it off of the concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's not to debate, is that a legitimate or not legitimate concept? But as I was thinking about it in the workplace and how these stack on top of one another to get to this ownership, that framework seemed to resonate pretty well to that. And with ending in self-actualization where we end in, in ownership. And so that's how the framework was created. And just a ton of research, a ton of diving in. And I'll tell you, Mick, I'm, I'm really proud of the framework because, you know, while we hear about belonging and purpose and psychological safety all the time now, like I said, this is a framework that was created, you know, three years ago. And so I feel really good about that and all the things that went into creating the framework. All right. As you should be. It's a great framework and I've looked at it deeply. I've got some questions for you as we go and maybe some add some things towards the end, but let's go one at a time. Tell us what psychological safety means to you, Danny Lingloss. Yeah. So first I want to start by saying that fear is the kryptonite of psychological safety. Psychological safety means that we can show up as our full selves. We can ask for help. We can admit when we don't know the answer. We can step up to the boss and say, hey, I, I think we might be a little off course here. If we see something that's an urgent problem, we definitely step up and step in, step in, in policing or in firefighting or in the military. It's the feeling and confidence that I can step forward and raise my hand 
and say, hey, I'm struggling and I need help and it's not going to cost me my career or the next promotion. I'm not going to be humiliated. I'm not going to be made fun of for any of the things that I've listed. It doesn't have to be something along the lines of struggling with PTSD. And so when we have these high levels of psychological safety, we can have radical candor. You know, as we talk in this interview on the podcast, you can say to me, non-offensive, you know, Danny, I really don't agree with that. I think this, or I think that we can just have an open conversation. And I remain curious, always looking to learn. And we have that mindset of curiosity within the team. So people can show up as their full, true, authentic selves, willing to contribute versus showing up in a lot of these organizations, giving a fraction of what their potential is, whether it's mental ideas, thoughts, or whether it's physical and the exertion and the work they do to to bring it to life. And so that's how I view psychological safety and and some of the, the critical aspects of what we're trying to bring to life through it. All right. So I'm going to do it directly now. I'm going to add to that. And let's see if we unpack something together here. So the, the first one, fear is the kryptonite of psychological safety. I love that with a limit. I'll get to that in a second. And then I'm hearing this holding space and having this environment where people are going to listen without judgment and where we can have a respectful disagreement about a topic. The thing that I want to push on here is it's not the absence of fear because the fear will be there, but it's about ensuring that the benefit of speaking up is greater than the fear of doing so. How does that sit with you, Danny? It sits perfectly with me. And I think when you're building high levels of psychological safety and trust, the leader has to go first. The leader has to be able to be vulnerable, has to be able to share their failures, has to be able to talk about their mistakes and what they learned from them, and has to be able to be there on that emotional level with their team members. And when we do that as leaders, we give our people permission to do the same. And you're right, just by the nature of organizations and the hierarchy, I mean, as much psychological safety as there is in our organization. If I call our police chief and say, you know, hey, can you stop over and talk to me? We haven't talked in a little bit. The first thing that might go through his head is, oh boy, did I do something wrong? That's the way I am. You know, the, the police chief before me and I were great friends. And, but at times he'd call me in out of the blue and just might've been the way he said it. I'm like, I don't think I did anything wrong. Did I, did? I mean, as human beings, we're driven, everything processes through our amygdala, fight, flight, or freeze. And what we're the best at, which is terrible for us at this point is, seeing the greatest risk, seeing the, the greatest fears or, you know, and so you're right. I completely agree with you. You're never going to eliminate fear, but how do you reduce it or create an environment where fear doesn't stop people? All right. Very good. And the first thing I heard from you there is then through demonstrated behaviors. So the leader to take the lead and say, hey, team, I stuffed up yesterday. Let's talk about it. Or, hey, team, I need help. If you are able to demonstrate the behavior of sticking up your hand and asking for help and for everyone to realize that the world didn't end when you did so, it gives them the license that they can also do so themselves, that vulnerability. And then the second one I want to unpack then is how you act as a leader when others speak up. So if someone does challenge you in a meeting, if someone does stick up their hand and ask for help, that moment right there is a learning moment for everyone that witnesses what you do next. And unfortunately, this can happen by complete accident. Sometimes it's completely unintentional. But if you shoot that person down, if you shut down the conversation, what are they going to learn? What are they going to learn? They're going to learn that now is not the time to speak up or the boss isn't receptive or whatever the case may be. And that becomes the learned behavior. So every time someone speaks up, whether you agree with them or not, what you do next becomes critical as to whether others, including that person, feel like it's safe to speak up. How does that sit with you, Danny? 
perfectly said, brilliantly said, you know, does your body language, does your tone, regardless of what your words say, does your body language, does your tone of voice, does your energy shift? Because if it does, you put up this giant stop sign, much bigger than we see on a corner and say, no, I said I wanted your input. I said you were valuable. I said it was safe to disagree. I said it was okay to be wrong, but it's actually not. I just said that, right? And so you put up this giant stop sign. And so I think uh, my good friend, Jean Marie, had our team attend a psychological safety workshop she did because she's just absolutely phenomenal. And she said something that I'd never thought about before, but that's so true. I use these words and I talk about it, but never like this. And she said, curiosity and judgment cannot exist in the same space. Think about it. As soon as you issue judgment, you're no longer being curious. And so as a leader, how do you remain curious? And I'll take a little deeper dive. I believe empathy is the heartbeat of leadership. And I believe trust is the currency of leadership. And when you think about empathy, a huge part of empathy is being curious. And when I talk about empathetic leadership, I'm not just talking about somebody is struggling, somebody's dog got ran over by a car, somebody's kid has been sick, right? I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about every day in their life at work and understanding their experience. I think empathy is the ability to see through the eyes and feel through the heart of another person. And when we use the very powerful skill and tool, the number one skill, by the way, of hostage negotiators and criminal interrogators, active listening. So we sit in this meeting and in this space you're talking about with genuine care and concern, fully present, active listening, deep listening through curiosity, right? And I love Simon Sinek's statement about leaders speak last. And and really in these meetings, waiting to talk and speak and getting the full perspective, opinion, ideas, value of everybody else around that table, taking all that in, encouraging and championing the fact that people are stepping up and sharing those ideas before we ever talk ourselves. And so I think those are some really, I mean, we could go really deep into all that. We've only got so much time in one podcast episode, but being human, demonstrating empathy and compassionate leadership, trust, and some of these behaviors I'm talking about, bringing all this to life is what creates these very high levels of psychological safety from my experience. Love it, Danny. I feel like this entire episode is going to be a highlight reel, by the way, and I'm taking so many great nuggets of gold and also metaphors. So here's one for everyone. Ask yourself this question. Is the body language that you're projecting with your team a metaphorical stop sign? That's a wonderful question to ask yourself. That judgment and curiosity cannot coexist. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to stay curious longer? And this empathy is the heartbeat of leadership and trust is the currency of leadership. And when you break that trust, your leadership is bankrupt. This is amazing, Danny. We're off to a rock and start and we're only at number one. Let's go to number two. Let's go to belonging. What does that mean to you? So belonging means that we are accepted as part of the group and the team for who we are. And I think there's several critical drivers of belonging, feeling seen, heard, valued, accepted, cared for, supported, and appreciated. These seven drivers are so, so important. Belonging, according to the research, I don't remember the lady's name whose book it was in. Belonging is the number one driver of meaning. And so when people feel like they belong, it really builds on the psychological safety that they can show up and be their full selves. Because think about it, when we try to fit in, when I was trying to fit in very early on in my career at the Dixon Police Department, I was surviving, right? I was surviving. 
surviving. When I knew and felt like I belonged, that's the area where I can thrive and where everybody can thrive. And, you know, it's funny from the research, there's a couple of critical factors to intentionally create belonging. And the two factors, and they say that belonging can't exist without them, are one, mutual care and concern, and two, frequent pleasant interactions. So I think caring about your people and your team members is the price of poker. Like you, it's the buy-in. If you can't sit at the poker table, no matter how great of a poker player you are, if you don't have the buy-in, and I think having a genuine care and concern for our people is the buy-in. If we don't, if we're not there to serve them and put them in the organization first, then we shouldn't be leading. Leadership's a choice and we don't have to make the choice to lead. The second on the frequent, pleasant interactions, you know, these aren't huge things. This can be walking in in the morning and saying, good morning, Mick, and making eye contact with you and giving you a smile. It can be at the water cooler, knowing that one of your female team member's daughter had a dance recital that weekend and asking and generally caring about how that dance recital went. It can be walking past each other in the hall and just giving a look to each other's eyes and just a glance and a head nod, right? It doesn't have to be. It can be proactively going and engaging in conversation and and giving off positive energy. These don't have to be big things, but they say to the other person, you're important. I see you. You matter. And it sets these little things, set the tone for the whole organization. You know, Maya Angelou said, people forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. And I try to think about every interaction I have with another person. What is the emotional stamp I'm leaving on them, on their heart and on their amygdala? Because that emotional stamp that I'm leaving on them is how they will see and view every interaction they have with me. And if it's a positive emotional stamp, I'm going to end up getting the benefit of the doubt and they're going to end up getting the benefit of the doubt. So that's a little dive into belonging and I'll just let you take it from there. All right, brilliant. So you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs before. And the one that I usually use, by the way, is William Glass's choice theory. And he talks about five psychological needs. And the only one that's just behind survival. So survival is our number one need. The one that comes immediately below that is this need for love and belonging. And what I'm hearing from you is very simple things that a leader can do to make someone feel like they belong, to feel like they matter. And when they feel like they belong and they feel like they matter, they there's something about the team environment now that they're going to go above and beyond for each other and for the purpose that you know we're going to talk about in the next pillar, et cetera, et cetera. The thing I want to challenge here, and this is really careful balance here that we need to think about, is when the need for love and belonging ends up in non-virtuous behaviors, right? So in an ideal world with everything that Danny's talking about, love and belonging is virtuous where everyone cares about each other, they're all going in the right direction, et cetera. But we've got this balance here I want to challenge you on down you're not challenge you on i just want to hear your thoughts on challenge me away i love it it's between the psychological safety and love and belonging because unfortunately with this strong drive where love and belonging becomes so important for us that it can get to the point where the need for love and belonging becomes greater than the need to be right and this is when we end up in behaviors that are almost like mob behaviors or people are doing things that don't necessarily sit well with their personal values and beliefs but they don't want to speak up because their need for love and belonging is greater than they need to be right. How does a leader balance that? And have you seen that in the police force or in other parts of your career? 
Yeah, that's, you know, you bring up such an important part and component about when you talk about psychological safety, when you talk about belonging, when you talk about care and love, we have to have boundaries around these things. Empathy is the heartbeat of leadership, but without the right boundaries, it can be very damaging to your leadership because it can drain you and take all your energy or it can stop you from doing what it is you need to do. So there's a couple of things here. All right. There's a couple of things here. There's five critical components. I believe there's five critical components of leadership, vision, culture, strategy execution, and accountability. And so where everything starts is getting very clear on our expectations, right? This is not about everybody comes and we hug and everybody's happy. And as long as everybody's happy, we're good. No, commitment to excellence, which is one of our values, right? Is this commitment to always bringing everything we have, the best versions of ourselves in those moments each and every day to accomplish this very important purpose. And if we're not accomplishing the very important purpose, we cannot have the impact for the people that we serve. And so I think purpose becomes really important. And when you have clear expectations and when you're clear on your values, right? And you do love your people and there is psychological safety. It ties into something my good friend, Superintendent Tad Everett said that have really adopted. Love your people so much that they give you permission to give them feedback, to discipline them when necessary, to have performance conversations. You've earned the right. I started a conversation about six months ago with a male team member of ours. And I said, can I have your permission to give you honest, caring, loving, and direct feedback. And then we went on to have a very caring, but difficult conversation. And, you know, the reason the Dixon Police Department had developed such a toxic culture to where we were ripping each other to shreds inside is because there was no accountability. Instead of holding people accountable, they were ignored and the leader went around them. And I gave this example, and I think this will solidify it and and drive it home, the importance that there has to be standards. They have to be met. There has to be personal and organizational accountability to them. When I was asked in my interview for police chief what the greatest issue facing the police department was, I said this, imagine it's game seven of the World Series. The series is tied three to three. It's the bottom of the ninth. There's one out. The bases are loaded and you step up into the plate. The problem with the culture of the Dixon Police Department is that the person in the on-deck circle is hoping that you strike out so they can get the game-winning hit that wins the World Series. It all came. The prior leader had great vision. He had great great people skills, right? He was a master in strategy. He was an amazing guy. He helped me so much. and I, I love him to death, but the failure to address problems that weren't in align with our purpose, that weren't in align with our values, that weren't in align with our expectations, that created a great division amongst our leadership team and department, just ate the organization from the inside out. And so we're going to talk about psychological safety and belonging, but not at the expense of clear expectations and accountability. That's amazing. So the three things I heard there were expectations, boundaries, and values. And that is going to govern our behaviors within the organization. So yes, we want love and belonging. Yes, we want psychological safety, but we want it in a container of expectations, boundaries, and values that drives towards care with accountability. It's not care without accountability, and it's not accountability without care. It's care with accountability. Wonderful. And the story you shared, Danny, illustrated it perfectly. Perfectly. All right, let's go on to our next pillar, which is purpose. We've actually threaded that through the conversation a lot already. So what's the one extra thing that you could share with leaders today about what they can do? What can they physically do around helping people find purpose in what they do? 
I think what leaders can do, and it all starts here, is I think a lot of leaders struggle with being able to clearly articulate the purpose and meaning of their organization, the impact, who they're serving. They're a little better at who they're serving, but what is it about their work that matters, that drives meaning? What is it about their work that's driving impact? And I think we have to get super, super clear on that. With policing, it was a little easier, but you still saw all these departments with these, you know, two paragraph mission statements. Our mission was to create a safer Dixon. Is that simple, right? To create a safer Dixon. And we understood what that looked like with our community programs and connection to the community, with being aware of intentionally building relationships between the police and communities of color, right? With intentionally being aware of what are some of the greater threats that could create us not to be safe. And so the first thing we got to do within an organization is get clear on what we do, why it matters, why it's important, and clear on why the position is important. So some people might have trouble seeing why the work of of a custodian has a ton of meaning, right? It's not a position that's often looked at as a prestigious or glorious position. It's often one of the lowest paid positions within the organization. But to me, when you look at that job, the custodian is the first part of creating our brand and creating our image. Because if somebody walks into our facility and the floors are a mess and there's smudges all over the door and they go to the bathroom and it's a mess and the place is completely disorganized, what do they think about us? And when you think about about COVID and what we went through with COVID, they all of a sudden became the frontline defense to protect us from COVID. And so our custodians play a major and vital role in our organization. And for the city of Dixon, if we don't have trust, like trust is the legitimacy. If we don't have a good brand. Trust is the legitimacy of government. And we can lose that by somebody walking into our building and what they see. And so they are the front lines of creating that. And that's why their job is so important within our organization. So we got to get clear as leaders, and this is what I challenge leaders to do here, get clear on what is our purpose, what drives meaning, and then get clear on how the role and position drives meaning and contributes, and then get to know the whole person, proactively communicate with our people, know their likes, their dislikes, their motivators, their fears, what inspires them, what lights them on fire, right? And when we do that, then we can connect them, one, to their role, but two, to the purpose of the organization. Brilliant, Danny. The takeaway for me there is it's not just about purpose, it's connection to purpose. And our job as leader is to help every single person in my team to understand what they do and why it's important towards that purpose. And then if they see that connection, then they can feel, they can feel the belonging, but they can also feel that purpose that will drive them. Really great stuff, Danny. The next one is confidence. And this can be interpreted in a few different ways. So I want to hold space for you here. Tell us what confidence means to you and why it's one of the pillars. Well, I would ask people if something they're really good at, if they've ever lost confidence, if they've ever had something they were really good at, lost confidence, and all of a sudden now they just can't seem to do it, right? If we're not confident, there's zero way that we can show up and give our full gifts. I'm going to give a silly example, all right? When I was 19 years old, buddy of mine, my buddy Jim Wisner asked me to play on their slow pitch softball team. And he was four years older than me. And I looked up to him and all of his buddies and they just needed one player. All they needed was a catcher. And I was a shortstop and a center fielder and I'm playing and I don't know what happened, but I like overthrew the pitcher and then I threw a ball in the dirt and like I could hit him in the chest every time from center field, right? I could be in the hole at shortstop and throw the guy out at first base. But all of a sudden, because I wasn't confident in this environment, because these guys were all older than me, they were all cooler than me. They, I, I saw them as, as better than me, right? I was fitting in. I lost my confidence. And the next thing you know, I couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher. 
And he pulled me to the side and he said, Danny, what's, what's, what's going on, dude? Like, don't worry about this. He's like, you're an amazing baseball player. The only reason you're not playing shortstop for this is because we already had the team and I don't want to move the guy out of the position. And we went off to the side and practice and we're tossing the ball back and forth. Next thing you know, we're kind of beaming each other out and I'm hitting the exact spot. And that helped reset my confidence. And I walked back on the field and I didn't have any more issues, but he approached me a few games into this problem. And so if we don't have confidence, if we've got fixed mindset instead of growth mindset, right? We cannot show up and give our true gifts. And so I know that's kind of a silly example, but I think it illustrates when we lose our confidence, even things that are simple, we can't do. And as leaders, we got to understand that, yes, confidence comes from within inside of people, but we can have a tremendous impact over the confidence of another person, just like my friend Jim Wisner did for me and got me back on track. Just like my lieutenant did for me when I was struggling with my evaluations and frustrated and losing confidence and angry to get me back on track. And so as leaders, us intentionally understanding people, knowing their personalities, how they interact, all these different levels of things, how do we build our people up? How do we build our people up? How do we give them the gift of believing in them? How do we give them the gift of seeing more in them than they see in themselves? How do we intentionally help build their confidence and their worth? How do we catch people doing things right, showing that appreciation? I've seen it time and time again where these things don't happen. People lose their confidence and then they present as a bad employee that doesn't have a lot of value. But in a completely different environment, they're one of our top people. So confidence enters the pillars for that reason. Because once people have confidence, now we can empower them and now we can work towards innovation. Yeah, really good, Danny. And the key one there was about showing that you believe in them. Don't underestimate how much imposter syndrome is out there. So there's a lot of people out there that are second guessing whether they're in the right job and can I really do this job and am I good at my job? It's people are usually harsher on themselves than, than you are. So help them, help them see their gifts, help them see how good they are help them see the impact that they have on the purpose and the rest of the team and build up their confidence, show that you believe in them and they'll start believing in themselves. Yeah, well done, Danny. You did mention the connection there to empowerment. Tell us now, why is empowerment so important? I think this one's relatively obvious, but I want to hear Danny Langloss's instance of empowerment. Well, I think when you look at empowerment, this is the key and the gold, right? Because when we empower other people, they begin to step forward and take the actions and proactively take actions to improve themselves, to improve their team, to improve the organization, to improve the service to our customer and to our community. We don't want our people waiting around for us to tell them what to do. We want to create an environment where they have a job and we trust them and we give them the autonomy to be able to do that job. We give them the training, the coaching, everything they need. Unlike, you know, we were talking, you know, maybe just off show about, you know, we promote leaders and we don't give them any training, coaching, anything. We just expect them to go from the highest performers to the best leaders. It doesn't work. And so when we think about empowering people, it ties into what I said with confidence, believing in others, see more in them than they see in themselves. But it it has to do with also looking at what are stretch moments? What are areas and meaningful assignments that we can give and give responsibility to them that allow them to grow? Because when we do that, we say, I trust you. You got this. I believe in you. You have significance. You have value. And when you not only give an assignment or a task or an area to somebody, but you actually give them full authority and responsibility to execute it, that's very empowering. It's very empowering. And then for us, you know, and this stretch moment has to do with challenge them, right? Make them think about possibilities they hadn't thought about before. Support them. If they fall down, pick them up, dust them off, get them back on their way, give them some encouragement. And then this is a thing that's so hard for 
their leaders. And it was so hard for me as a new leader, get out of their way, get out of their way. And that is such a hard thing, especially for new leaders, but for people everywhere. And, and it's so empowering to a person when you're believed in to fully take on the tasks and things. And when you're given things that matter, people don't want to just be part of the championship team. They want to be part of what makes the team a championship team and empowerment has a lot to do with that. So the three takeaways there for me were the trust, the belief and getting out of their way. And that's where a lot of the mistakes happen is if you go back and start micromanaging, you're not showing any trust, right? You might've said that they're empowered, but you're not demonstrating that they're empowered. Then you're not demonstrating that you trusted them. You're not demonstrating that you believe in them. So trust, belief, get out of the way, let them get on with it. And remember what Danny was said, they're going to make mistakes and that's okay too, but be there ready for them and help them dust themselves off so that they go again. The one I want to unpack a little bit more here, Danny, is I think this can be a huge killer of ownership. And I hear leaders talk all the time. They say things like, oh, just can't get people to take any responsibility anymore. Can't get people to take accountability. Can't get people to take ownership. And what is the missing ingredient often is, I'm going to add one, is empowerment and enablement. So if you've made someone responsible for an outcome, but you did not empower them to be in charge of the levers that influence the outcome? Or did you set them up for failure by not giving them enough resources, time, money, people, whatever the case may be, for them to be successful? Then of course they're going to wash their hands of it. They're going to say, well, no thanks, boss. I don't want that responsibility because I'm not in any way in control of what the outcome will be. How does that one sit with you, Danny? sits perfectly with me. hundred percent. When I think about empowerment and the, the deeper dive into it, we have to make sure that we have prepared our team for the responsibility that we're going to give them, that we have given them the resources and that they know that if they need help, they can come back and ask for that help. And we're there to coach them and to mentor them. And, you know, this isn't a pie in the sky. Like I'm just going to believe in them or see more in them and give them this task and send them off. Because if we haven't given them the things you've talked about from the enabling side, then we've kind of set them up for failure, which is going to knock out their confidence and in no way lead to creativity and innovation. All right. That's a great segue. Let's go. Number six, innovation. How did innovation get on the list? This one was curious for me. I'd love to know. So innovation got on the list because when you think about being committed to excellence and great organizations, we've got to be committed to getting 1% better every single day. Change is our friend. Change is where true growth occurs. And we live in a very dynamic, ever-changing world. I mean, we really did before COVID, but we do even now more than ever. And when you think about innovation as part of ownership, this is where people are proactively looking for challenges, for seeing challenges and solving them before they come and before they exist. This is where we're getting 1% better every day. And as I like to say, adding layers of greatness to our great community, to your great business, to your great team, to your great organization. And one of the problems that stifles innovation within organizations is a leader's tendency to start with no, right? When we start with no, and we start with no all the time, and people have to fight their way towards what it is they're trying to do for the team and for your organization, it's demoralizing. And it's one of the things 
things that I found out in my one-on-one listening session shortly after becoming police chief was that we coming out of that intentionally found ways to say yes. When we promote innovation, when we use the word, there's power in words. When we're constantly using the word innovation day in and day out, right? That matters, that plants the seed. And then when we start with yes, or we try to find a partial yes to an idea or a concept or a movement and people start to see, they do see us. They do hear us. We truly are valued. And so we were looking for a number of wins, a number of things to say yes to. And then it became incredibly, incredibly empowering to drive this innovation. And the reason we've hired all these people on our team, right? Like in the creating a culture of of leadership framework, it starts with, it's all about the people and onboarding. And so I'm just going to presume we have the right people on our team because that's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother episode. But if we have the right people on our team, get out of their way, get all the boundaries out of the way, talk about innovation, promote it, find ways to say yes. And the next thing you know, innovation is happening everywhere. And innovation doesn't have to be going to the moon. It could be improving a process, a simple process that makes things better, that continues to move us a little bit forward. And then through this, we are going to have things, major things on the innovation side that help take us to another level, keep us number one or number two or up there in our market. And and our customers know we're just not resting on our laurels. Like we're always trying to serve them better. And that's big. And I think another thing with innovation is, you know, one way to do it is challenge your team, issue challenges, see who steps up, see who's hungry, right? Challenge our team. And then when people are innovative and they do step forward and they do bring ideas, regardless of how much you're able to implement and and really they will implement it, right? We want to, they will be part of implementing it because people support what they create. Then we got to champion it. Then we got to make a big, big deal out of it. And when we champion it, we get more and more and more of it. Brilliant, Danny. Three really powerful takeaways there. The first one is that, you know, different is not wrong. So give your people the license to invent their way through and innovate their way through. The the second one is what you said then, people support what they create. So if they feel like they've been part of the solution and there's some kind of part of their personal stamp within that solution, they're going to take more ownership and more leverage in there for sure. And then that third one, that find a way to say yes. Instead of just saying no all the time, start thinking about what would need to be true for this to be true? And then you can start really working together as a team and co-create something amazing. Really good. All right. Seventh pillar, commitment. Commitment. So it ties back into people support what they create. When our people have high levels of psychological safety, when they feel like they belong and they're thriving, when they know what they do matters and they understand how it matters, when they're in a position where they've been given the training, coaching, mentoring, positive feedback, support, appreciation, development, they can have very high levels of confidence. Now we're ready to empower them to action. Now they're innovative. Commitment, high levels of dedication, high levels of loyalty, right? Organizations that can drive this ownership, retention isn't a problem. And recruitment and the problems with that start to go away because your people become your greatest recruiters. Like you become the place in your industry where people want to work. And this commitment is where that passionate discretionary effort comes in. It's where people are willing to stay over or work through the night if we have to, to cross the finish line on something important. It's where in these really difficult moments where, you know, a few of us are doing the job of three people that we stick to it and we push through it. And it's a 
whatever it takes mindset. Because at the end of the day, we have ownership and we we will not let whatever it is we're working on fail. We won't let it fail. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we want people working through the night or extra hours every day. We don't. There, people got to have time to get away. But when they need to, when it matters the most, they have such high levels of commitment and ownership because they're creating it. It's important to them, not because it's important to everybody else. What they're doing matters and they're so committed to that impact and who they're serving. They'll do whatever it takes. And that's why I think ownership is employee engagement on steroids. It's a whole nother level of engagement, discretionary effort, commitment, just bringing your full self to the table. And so, so yeah, that's what I think of when I think of commitment and why very high levels of it turn to ownership. Love it, Danny. And yeah, the two things I hear there is this is where the discretionary effort gets unlocked, but it's also where you convert adversity into opportunity. If if you have created an environment based on these seven pillars that Danny is talking about, all of a sudden you become an employer of choice and you're not worried about the great resignation anymore because people are gravitating towards your organization because they know that they're going to have that level of ownership in what they're doing. So absolutely wonderful, Danny. Very quick call to action for everyone here. I'd like to share. So you've learned a lot in today's session, right? So I've been through seven pillars, psychological safety, belonging, purpose, confidence, empowerment, innovation, commitment. You're not going to be able to do all of that all at once. So what I want you to think about is think about one of those pillars. And for this week, this month, go away and think about what can I do as a leader to take a step forward in direction of what Danny has so graciously shared with us today. Pick one of them and make a start. And then as you progress as a leader, as you get 1% better every day as a leader, you can then move on and start building up on all of the pillars. All right, Danny, thank you so much for today. This has been absolutely wonderful. I want to take us now to our rapid round. These are the same four questions that we ask all of our guests. And I'm very curious as to what your answers are going to be to these. What's the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you were 20? I think it's Covey's fifth habit. Seek first to understand, then be understood. To really understand the importance of empathy as the heartbeat of leadership and human connection and the power of active listening. Yeah, really powerful. All right. Thank you, Danny. What's your favorite book? I do have a few books. I think my favorite book is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. When you look at what differentiates good from great organizations and what facilitates ownership is our ability to have those tough conversations. And you can't have tough conversations without getting people's armor down, right? And when we get their armor down, then we can really rumble. And then we can, you know, as she says, and we can really have conversations that matter and we can create an environment to where we can work through anything and we can solve anything. All right. Very good one. You've used a couple of quotes throughout today's episode, but what's your favorite quote? I think my favorite quote is going to be the best way to predict the future is to create it because, you know, if we can see it, we can become it. And I just think that if we've got our eye there, we don't live there. Right. But if we've got our eye there, anything is possible. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Thank you, Danny. And finally, there's going to be people that have learned so much from today's episode and they're going to be curious more about the rest of your work. How do people find you and get in contact with you if they'd like to know more about Danny Langloss? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So on LinkedIn, I'd love to connect with your community through LinkedIn. It's the main platform I use. I'm on TikTok as well with video content, but the engagement and interaction on LinkedIn can DM me there. DannyLangloss.com is my website. It's full of speaker video, the keynotes, workshops, other services I offer in person and virtually. And then Danny Langloss, Danny.Langloss at gmail.com if somebody just wants to reach out and say, hey. And so those are the main areas people can find me. And we also have the leadership 
of Excellence podcast as well. So we have guests on and talk with guests and we're going to start recording here again within the next month or two, but we've got 70 or 80 episodes there. Yeah, brilliant, Danny. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, for sharing your wisdom, your insights and your experience. The seven pillars of ownership absolutely captured my imagination and attention. I'm so glad that we could share it with the audience today. I know that I learned a lot from today's episode and that they would have as well. So thank you so much, Danny. Mick, thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you to your community for taking the time to join us. Thank you for listening to The Leadership Project at mixbeers.com. A huge call out to Faris Sadek for his video editing of all of our video content and to all of the team at TLP. Joanne Goes On, Gerald Calabo and my amazing wife, Say Spears. I could not do this show without you. Don't forget to subscribe to the Leadership Project YouTube channel where we bring you interesting videos each and every week. And you can follow us on social, particularly on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Now, in the meantime, please do take care, look out for each other and join us on this journey as we learn together and lead together. 